Do you struggle with acid reflux? Acid reflux is one of the most common symptoms that I work with, and between 20 to 30% of Americans have acid reflux symptoms every week. That's almost one-third of Americans every week. According to the World Journal of Gastroenterology in a study of more than 6,000 patients, 63% of people with IBS also have acid reflux or GERD. On top of that, IBS affects women in a two-to-one ratio compared to men. So the overwhelming majority of people with IBS are women, and the majority of these women with IBS also have acid reflux. Safe to say, I have a lot of clients with acid reflux and all the symptoms that come along with it. It's a common problem with a common solution that doesn't work. Acid reflux medication, known as PPIs or antacids, never solve the problem of acid reflux. They can mask it or make it manageable, but they don't heal acid reflux. However, with every client that I've worked with using functional medicine protocols, we've been able to reduce their acid reflux 70, 80, even 100% by following our unique pathway and assessment process we have for acid reflux. One of the first steps in this process is something you can do right now with basic blood work you have at home, and it's something I teach in depth in my course Blood Lab Bootcamp, which is reopening for registration on January 5th. Blood Lab Bootcamp is all about how you learning how to analyze your most common blood lab work ordered by your doctor using functional medicine analysis methods so you can find the root cause of your health problems and stop spinning your wheels between supplements and doctor appointments. In today's episode, I'm going to give you a quick flyby on 10 markers that I consistently use to find the root cause of acid reflux in my clients. Are you guys ready? Let's jump in. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clinics clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. 
All right, guys. So for today, we are going to be talking about the 10 markers, or it's not even all of them, but just 10 of the most common markers that I'm looking at uh, to look and see why is there acid reflux going on in the body. We do have some extra episodes on acid reflux if you want to learn a little bit more. You can listen to our podcast episode 24 called Got Acid Reflux? No Problem. Five Things to Consider to Heal Your Acid Reflux Without Pharmaceuticals. And episode number four. 40, reducing acid reflux with the magic power of zinc. Both will make a lot of sense in lieu of today's episode, so I would recommend listening to all three. But today we're going to be focusing more on blood chemistry markers, or when I say blood chemistry, I mean when your doctor, you know, orders some blood work, blood labs, these are all interchangeable words. Um, and then they look at stuff like your calcium or your white blood cell counts and all that jazz, and you kind of look at it and it looks like a bunch of Latin. Um, that's what we're talking about. And there's there's consistently markers in there that doctors, conventional doctors do not use to evaluate low stomach acid, but they're they're so consistent. And I see it in all my clients. And it's fascinating. It's nerdy. And it really relates to Blood Lab Boot Camp as well, where I dive into more what does it mean to have a high and low range for each of these? What can you do to help all of them? But for now, let's just talk about 10 markers <laughs> that acid reflux affect it's fascinating. So number one, something you've probably never heard of, uh, and when I first saw it, was kind of irritated with its name, but I love saying it now. It kind of rolls off the tongue fun. It's called alkaline phosphatase. Alkaline phosphatase is something, is a marker that is impacted by the level of zinc in our body. And the reason that that's important is because we actually need zinc to create stomach acid. The reason that's important which we cover in episode 24 of this podcast, is that low stomach acid is actually the number one cause of acid reflux. And I get in more in depth into the science of that in episode 24, so go and listen to that podcast episode. But as a quick note, it's low stomach acid. And there's a couple of things going on. Part of it is that you're just not digesting as well. So food ends up staying in the stomach longer. So then when you're moving around and sleeping and all this stuff, it's just still hanging out in your stomach, which makes it easy to come back up the esophagus. Often that top esophageal sphincter um, at the esophagus and the stomach is sensitive to acid. So it needs a high enough acid level to kind of get the cue like I should close. So low stomach acid is a huge cause of acid reflux. It's a way more prevalent problem than high stomach acid. Uh, and, and low stomach acid causes its own problems, which we're going to get into. But if you have low stomach acid, you don't absorb zinc point blank. And if you don't have zinc, you don't make stomach acid. So it becomes this really strong cyclical thing. And so alkaline phosphatase is something that you want to have a good amount of. And I'm consistently finding that when I get clients who are getting blood work from their doctor, this is something that's just commonly missing. And so in Blood Lab Boot Camp, I cover all the markers, the blood markers that are missing from people's blood work that are full of very key and important data. And so this is one of my favorite ones to grab from blood work and just encourage y'all to get, get your alkaline phosphatase. If it's low on a functional level, they have a huge range for the standard range. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Standard functional ranges, what's going on here? 
I want you to check out episode 66, Six Reasons Your Doctor is Reading Your Blood Labs Wrong, plus how you can do it better. And I talk more about what that means. But in the meantime, there's these different ranges that your doctor is evaluating, like are you high and are you low? And the ones we use in functional medicine, they're smaller, they're more specific, more pointed and more accurate. And so you most of my clients, I'd say have low alkaline phosphatase. It is low even for standard ranges and doctors never mention it. So I'll, I, one of my favorite questions to ask when someone brings me blood work that their doctors already evaluated, I'll look at a bunch of them, even in the standard ranges. And I'll say, did your doctor say anything to you about your low alkaline phosphatase? And they're like, no. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Um, and then of course, you know, if it's low, even in a functional range, but within standard range, the doctor of course has no idea. But alkaline phosphatase, if it's low, it's one of the first markers I look at. Like if you have acid reflux and you're coming to me and you've got IBS and acid reflux and bloating, we're going to get into bloating and how that keys in with acid reflux and low stomach acid in a moment. All of this is, you know, if alkaline phosphatase is low, you're not going to feel better until some root cause problems are going on. Number two, another thing that you're going to find consistently is you're going to have, and these are actually markers two through six. I'm just going to list them off because alkaline phosphatase was number one. You're going to more likely have low or high calcium, low chloride, high protein, low iron, and low B12. Whoa, that was a lot. Why are all these markers so off? calcium, chloride, protein, iron, B12, like a lot of these things you actually have heard of before, unlike the weird alkaline phosphatase, which I wanted to throw in first. <laughs> but you're like, oh, all these normal things. If, if calcium's low, your doctor says drink more milk or here's a calcium supplement. Uh, I, I'm so curious how many of you actually have noticed that when you take your calcium supplement, it doesn't really seem to have a big effect on your calcium levels in your blood. There's a reason for that. And a lot of times if you have acid reflux, it's an interconnected reason because you need stomach acid to absorb calcium, to free it from the food matrix. I don't care how much milk you're drinking or how much, um, you know, calcium supplements you're taking, if you don't have stomach acid, you're not absorbing calcium. You're just pooping it out. Uh, same with chloride. You need chloride to create acid, stomach acid as well. And you need stomach acid, um, excuse me, you need stomach acid to absorb chloride. Protein is something, and I just realized I said high protein, it's low protein. So excuse me, low protein. <laughs> if you have low protein levels, what's happening is you're eating protein and stomach acid is the first thing that you need to start breaking down protein. It's stomach acid and then bile and pancreatic enzymes. And if you don't have all three, you're not going to break down your protein very well. And so you could your doctor's saying, you know, maybe you want more muscle mass or maybe you're trying to build muscle or you're, you could be a very healthy, I've got lots of clients who are like marathon runners and they exercise. You might have no energy, so you're just going to be happy if you have some energy. But if you're not breaking down protein, you're not having energy. And if you're not breaking down protein, you don't have good amino acid creation. So it's going to be hard for you to build new muscle. You're not also going to not have amino acids you need to create neurotransmitters. So having low protein can really be correlated with mood problems, just apathy or fatigue or difficulty focusing. You're not able to create dopamine and serotonin and all these things that need protein, amino acids as a base. That's huge. It's oh my gosh, we just went from I have acid reflux and it's mildly um, uncomfortable or it's kind of irritating to me or, or it makes me you know, need a wedge at night so I can sleep upright or whatever it is. We now went from that to like, 
I I'm tired and I'm fatigued and I can't build muscle and my mood's off. That that's a big jump. Um, but they're all correlated. And so that's why functional medicine is so beautiful and so amazing. We can hit so many things so quickly by simply understanding how everything's interconnected and not just throwing one supplement or telling someone just to eat more protein. It's like, oh, well, you you're eating protein, but you're not, you don't, you don't have stomach acid or you do have acid reflux. So that's a thing going on. Iron, you need stomach acid to absorb iron. Iron and anemia, super, super common with all of my clients. And they always say it's because women have periods. Well, that's stupid because you can actually have too much iron and men struggle with often having too much iron. Periods are actually really amazing detoxification moments for our bodies. The problem is that our detoxification is sludged up and then we don't have the right nutrients to refill our bodies with. That's fixable. That's that's changeable. Uh, but if you have low stomach acid, you're not going to be, uh, even if you're taking iron supplements, even the best iron supplement, you're not going to be absorbing it very well. And so again, money kind of down the drain. It makes it discouraging because every time you go see your PCP, they tell you um, your calcium's low, your iron's low, and your vitamin D's low. Here are these supplements. And you're like, somehow taking these is not making me feel better. What else is going on? Well, st- low stomach acid. <laughs> Um, and then B12, you need stomach acid and, and it's actually not quite the stomach acid. It's the cell that creates stomach acid. It's called a parietal cell. And that cell actually creates both acid, like stomach acid and something called intrinsic factor. And it's intrinsic factor we really care about because that helps us absorb B12 and assimilate it into our body. And so you can actually be, when you're on an acid reducer, anything that somehow inhibits the functionality of your parietal cells, which you're like, yay, I don't have acid reflux, but you're also inhibiting your ability for that same cell to create intrinsic factor, which is gonna affect your B12 level. So again, I don't care how much B12 you're taking, I don't care how how methylated it is or how high quality it is or how natural it is. It could be much harder to liberate it and make it usable if you don't have parietal cell function or aka stomach acid function. So again, you can see how stomach acid and acid reducers, they can save people's lives and and there's there's history to it. There's a wonderful book um, that is like super dense to read um, called The Second Brain. I don't recommend it to the average human being. <laughs> Even I had a hard time with it. Um, but it's fascinating because it's about the guy who like developed acid reducing medication and it saves people's lives because like ulcers and all this stuff. But now we're just over prescribing it. And we're not even bothering looking at what the deeper problem about what's going on and seeing all the connections. So of course, if you don't have B12, you're going to have problems having good red blood cell counts and having good energy levels. You're going to be more exhausted when you exercise. You're going to have symptoms of anemia potentially because B12 and iron work together. Um, And so all of a sudden, we just went from I have acid reflux, maybe I should take an acid reducer to like, maybe I shouldn't (laughs) take an acid reducer. Why do I have low stomach acid? Ah, could be because you have low zinc, but why do you have low zinc? That is a much better question. But before we get there, we're also going to talk about something that two markers you might not care too much about or have ever heard of. One is something called BUN, blood urea nitrogen, and another one, creatinine. If you haven't noticed, I'm trying to like intermix words you have heard before with words you haven't heard before. Fun fact. Uh, Is it working? (laughs) But so with blood urea nitrogen, or excuse me, with, with creatinine, it's a waste product from the natural breakdown of muscle. So that's 
good generally, like, you know, muscle breaking down can happen from exercise and building new muscle. It can just happen from living life. It can happen from being too sedentary. And that might be happening if you feel really sick and you don't feel well and you don't feel like you have the energy to get up and do much. Um, Could just be your lifestyle or some work related things. But um, creatinine happens to everyone. And our body naturally is trying to get rid of it and and there should be a nice balance. But if you have really low levels of creatinine, it can be a sign of low stomach acid. This can be because you're not making enough protein or muscle to then break it down. And so you're kind of in this chronic low cycle. So it kind of connects to that low protein levels and then low blood urea nitrogen. Uh, And I keep saying that low creatinine. Sorry about this, guys. Now we are going to talk about blood urea nitrogen. BUN or blood urea nitrogen. It's a waste product from the liver and it's excreted in the urine via the kidneys. It reflects the amount of urea and nitrogenic waste from dietary protein metabolism. And so BUN and creatinine are two major indicators of kidney function typically. So your doctors will say your kidneys look fine. But what they are not keeping in mind is that stomach acid and how much you're breaking down protein and how much you're you're filtering that through your liver and then, you know, how much muscle breakdown you're having, is it also affecting these two markers? And so it's just a very narrow view of these of these two markers. And it's not giving them credit for all the pieces of information they could be telling you. Uh, fun fact, they could also be telling you stuff about like your adrenal gland health and dysbiosis of your gut. And if you have leaky gut, I mean, it's just crazy. And so it's like way more than just kidney function. And we get into all of that in Blood Lab Bootcamp. And you really get a breakdown and worksheets and handouts so you don't have to memorize things, but you can actually look at these and apply them to your own blood chemistry. But BUN will be high if you have low stomach acid. And so that's another thing that Again, I'd say of these 10 markers I'm mentioning, maybe not, maybe eight out of the 10 of them are going to be off, high, low. Um, They might not all be off, which can be a part of what I call the resiliency of the body, that it's still able to function with what it has. But these are more markers where it's like, ding, 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 you're going down the list and you're like, that's high, that's low, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and you're starting to see a pattern. Another one that's going to be important, and we're going to be shifting gears here because we've talked about low stomach acid. And if you have listened to our other podcast episodes on acid reflux and low stomach acid, you know that there's a very important player, invisible player involved in low stomach acid. And that's something called H. pylori. H. pylori is a bacteria that lives in the gut. If it is in the gut, it it lives in the stomach um, and it loves acid. It loves eating acid. It loves hanging out in acid. It'll just bathe all day in acid. And so if you have H. pylori, H. pylori typically reduces stomach acid because it is living on it. It also burrows into your stomach and it will damage parietal cells. So that's also not super fun. It'll damage the overall stomach. And so we are going to talk about the differences between simply having low stomach acid and having symptoms of that, but then some additional symptoms you'll get if you have H. pylori. Because anytime you're really considering acid reflux and then you're considering, do I have low stomach acid? You then want to consider, do I have H. pylori? Because you can't increase stomach acid, or at least you don't want to increase stomach acid in the gut or in the stomach until H. pylori is gone. Because if you go to increase that stomach acid in the gut or in the stomach specifically, 
before H. pylori is gone, you will feed H. pylori and make it worse. You will make it stronger. And that's like, meh. one of the reasons acid reducers helps is if you have H. pylori, you're starving the H. pylori by reducing your stomach acid. But you know what you're also doing is you're not allowing yourself to break down food very well. So of course, you're low in calcium, you're low in protein, you're low in iron, you're low in B12. You also get bloating because stomach acid is part of what prepares food to be interacted with by your microbiome. And if it's not broken down and prepared, it's like the chef preparing all the food. By the time it hits your microbiome, your microbiome's like, this isn't quite fully digested yet. And you can microbiome can end up overfeeding and certain bacteria that weren't meant to thrive will thrive and they'll create extra gas, extra bloating, extra inflammation because they're not the right bacteria we're trying to make uh, grow. And probiotics don't fix that. They don't, they don't change that floral problem. You have to fix stomach acid before you can change the microbiome at that point. That's how critical and crucial H. pylori is. So we will talk a little bit more about H. pylori, but it does get us to our marker number nine. And if this has felt fast, that's good. <laughs> Some of my episodes are super long, but you know, there was one alkaline phosphatase, two through six was calcium chloride, protein, iron, and B12. Seven was BUN or blood urea nitrogen. Eight was creatinine. Nine is your white blood cell count. And the reason for this is now because of H. pylori, because now you're kind of like, well, Allison, <laughs> what if, how can I know, is there anything in my blood chemistry that can potentially even tell me if H. pylori might be going on? There is. Most people who have H. pylori, um, and this is not all, you could have, say if you recently developed acid reflux, this might not be the case for you. Um, you could have recently developed H. pylori, but your white blood cell count, if you've recently had a new pathogen in your body, you will have a higher white blood cell count. We call that acute. Um, there's like an acute infection. So it's recent, it's kind of new. And so you'll, you'll have an increased immune system response in your white blood cell count, which you will see in your blood. And if you've had something for a long time, chronically, and long time can vary for the body, uh, depends on your body's resiliency, its immune system, all this stuff. But, you know, three months, six months, definitely a year that's chronic. Then you're actually going to get a low white blood cell count. And I see this one more commonly with my clients that their white blood cell counts just like drooping on the ground. Um, and again, doctors aren't really saying much about it because they don't have a medication they can give you. They don't have anything to do um, other than maybe I, I know more and more doctors are checking for SIBO, which I appreciate. But and we're going to get to why doctors aren't doing a great job on checking for H. pylori. That is its own story. And we will get to it in this episode. Um, but white blood cell count, high could be like a recent um, pathogenic, especially like bacterial um, infection, and then a low count chronic. That's a really basic breakdown of the white blood cell count. We get into a little bit more details in Blood Lab Boot Camp. Um, plus, we talk about all the breakdowns of white blood cells because there's things like neutrophils and lymphocytes. And maybe this sounds familiar. Maybe you've never looked at your blood chemistry because it's overwhelming and intimidating and too many words. That was me, by the way, <laughs> prior to learning all this stuff. But now it's like your eyes crave it because you know what it is. And that makes the, the biggest difference Like when you know how to read something. Uh, just like knowing how to read a book. You're If you're in a different country, if y'all have ever done that, you've gone to Germany, you've gone to Japan, you go anywhere that has a different language than English, um, 
and you look at all the signs, I, I find that at least I usually stop looking at signs because I don't understand the symbols and my brain's just kind of irritated because it's like working too hard to be like, is that a is that a coffee place? Do they sell groceries? I don't know. And you, you're maybe looking for symbols that you can understand, like a teacup or something. But um, that's kind of the transition of like, being able to read or not being able to read, your eyes might glaze over. But it's so empowering when you start to learn those phrases or you come back to America and you're like, I can read all the signs again. This is amazing. Um, that's how I've felt when I've traveled abroad. And that's literally how it feels when you can read your blood chemistry. You go from like, uh, my eyes are glazing over. This is overwhelming. I guess I just have to trust my doctor to this is fascinating. This is so easy or it's so exciting or it's so rewarding. And that's what it's like. So white blood cells were is number nine. And I and again, I'm not diving into all the neutrophils and isinophils and and lymphocytes, all those details of the white blood cells, but we do get into that in blood lab boot camp. And number 10, high cholesterol. High cholesterol. Because liver functionality is impacted by pathogens, like highly impacted by it. And liver functionality is impacted by the your level of your nutrient status. And so if you're not getting the nutrients you need because you have low stomach acid, because you have H. pylori, if that you could have low stomach acid without H. pylori, I'd, I'd say it's happened to two of the dozens of clients I've worked with. And it's easy to remember because most clients I work with, if you have been feeling bad and you've tried all the traditional stuff and you've done the low FODMAP diet or gluten-free and you've exercised and you've meditated and you've gone to your doctor's appointments and you've done your colonoscopy and your endoscopy, if you've done all these things that are quote-unquote right and healthy and good and you still don't feel better, it's 100% pointing to you have something deeper going on that doctors don't look for. That's just how it works. And I've starting to dig into that more in our podcast. I haven't 100% devoted one podcast to all the reasons doctors don't look into all this stuff, but there's, because there's a lot and it depends on what specific marker we're looking at. There's history and there's layers. So, but the truth is, is that a functional health practitioner is going to do you a lot better. Um, functional doctors, functional, I'm a functional diagnostic nutritionist, functional nutritionist. There's all these different stuff going on. And so um, functional practitioners are going to be thinking a little bit more nuanced. And with high cholesterol, your liver functionality is down. And I'm actually going to have a podcast episode coming out next week on cholesterol because I've just realized it's something that there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of misunderstandings about cholesterol of, you know, feeling like, well, if I have high cholesterol, it's something I ate and it's all my fault. And and if it's high, I should stop eating fat. And there's just, you might even be slightly aware that that's actually not quite true, but then you still don't know how to lower your cholesterol, even if you are aware that food is not the primary way that we get cholesterol at all. Um, so I'm going to have a whole podcast episode on this, but uh, pathogens, especially H. pylori, really do impact cholesterol levels. And so we do see high cholesterol commonly in our clients who have H. pylori. And that is relieving and fascinating to a lot of our clients because they do feel shame and guilt of like, I've got high cholesterol. And then a lot of it is like, we do get a lot of clients who are actually their weight and their visually what they look like, they're skinny or they're a healthy weight. And then doctors don't even know what to do with them. They're like, we don't know why your cholesterol is high. Do you want to take a statin? They're like, no. <laughs> 
and they're just not looking. And so that's another thing. If you're like, wow, Allison, if you happen to know I do have high cholesterol and my white blood cells count has been low and maybe some of the other ones you might not recognize, but I know my calcium has been low and my doctors also told me my iron's low and I know that my B12 has been low. Like even if you know some of those basic things, wow, we're already on a solid track of like thinking about low stomach acid and on top of that, thinking about um, acid or H. pylori. So some symptoms of low stomach acid. So let's make this personal. Let's not talk sciencey. Let's like talk like your everyday experience, right? Some symptoms of low stomach acid, bloating. We already mentioned you're not breaking down food. So immediately you're just like, you're having to overprocess it in somewhere else, aka your small intestine and your microbiome, where it's not designed to be processed. So then you get extra excess gas, excess um, irritation, inflammation. Um, your your lymphatic system slows down. You just get all this bloating. Um, quick feelings of fullness. That's a big one that I find a lot of our clients deal with, and they don't even realize it's like just annoying. Um, acid reflux, heartburn, discomfort eating. So like just feeling like nothing ever feels good because it's not hitting like the first thing it hits is your stomach and it's like not even ready. It's, there's not enough stomach acid. It's not hasn't digested the past meal super well. There's some inflammation from maybe um, just like not having the right amount of acidity in it. Your stomach wants a certain amount of acidity. Muscle loss uh, or difficulty gaining muscle. Weight gain or weight loss can be a sign of stomach, low stomach acid. Just because it can do some metabolic chaos, you're either like craving food and you're eating more carbs and you're not breaking down your like healthier energy sources very well, your fat and your protein. Even if you're eating fat and protein, you're eating your avocado and your olive oil and you're eating your goat cheese and your whatever, you're eating your fats and your proteins you're not breaking it down very well. So you might end up mainly processing your carbs and then like doing a lot of like feeling hungry, like needing a snack a lot and, and just like never feeling satisfied or never feeling like energized. Uh, and then you'll gain weight because your, your energy processing is inefficient. You can also lose weight cause you're just not breaking down food again. And I've seen both and, and it depends on a lot on that human's body. And all the other variables, like whether you're going to lose or gain weight with low stomach acid, it does vary, but either of them for sure. And then other symptoms, and this is like a funny way to put symptoms, but correlations would be more stronger with low stomach acid is SIBO, especially repeated SIBO, because as we just talked about, so SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So you're overgrowing bacteria in the small intestine that should be in the large colon um, and what's happening is that acid, stomach acid actually helps regulate the microbiome. Uh, so, so does bile, fun fact. And so if you are not creating enough stomach acid, uh, either just on its own or because of H. pylori, you're setting yourself up for having any kind of bacterial overgrowth uh, and yeast overgrowth. So the second one of correlating infection is candida. So I get a lot of clients who've come to me and said, well, I've already been tested positive for candida in the past, or I've, been, I've dealt with SIBO in the past. I'm immediately thinking about stomach acid. And then I'll ask them, whoever you worked with, I don't care if it's a functional doctor, or integrative, whoever you worked with, did they look at your stomach? acid levels? Did they look at H. pylori? They're like, no, no one ever talked to me about this. Well, like, yes, that's why you have SIBO again, or that's why your candida never really cleared up and why you have to work so dang hard to minimize your candida symptoms because you haven't restored balance. You maybe killed it once, but it came back because balance is not 
happening. So this is, I mean, just the amazing funness of functional health and why people get results and they keep their results and they don't have to be just spinning their wheels or or working ridiculously hard to feel somewhat okay, maybe sort of, kind of. Differences from, you go from low stomach acid, now we want to be thinking about H. pylori because and this is, please don't like diagnose yourself based off of H. pylori or the this like list. <laughs> um, like, oh, I do or don't have it. This is not, you need to get a stool test. You need to get a test. And I'm going to tell you why I don't recommend conventional doctors. Unfortunately, I wish I could recommend them. Um, I'm going to tell you why I don't recommend them, but I do want to give you a little list so you can get a small sense of what can be differentiators and how they are. H. pylori does add-ons, <laughs> some worse things, um, on top of having low stomach acid. So headaches and migraines are pretty common with H. pylori. Pain in your mid-back, especially like around T12, because of how the stomach has attachments to um, inside of your, your rib cage and your diaphragm. It's not inside the diaphragm, but below the diaphragm. It all... it. And you end up getting a lot of tugging around T12, so that's very mid-back. You might get pain on the left side of your rib cage, feel like you have a hard time breathing on that side, get like sharp pains, potentially when you take a deep breath on your left side or like even into left shoulder, left clavicle uh, is actually can be from stomach all the way down uh, at the bottom. Fun fact, uh, all my clients who get visceral manipulation are surprised by this, but your stomach actually starts around rib six and a, a vague way that you can imagine that is either like your your underwire of your bra or sometimes like for men like their nipple um and so it's that's a little bit you might be a little bit higher than it should be but not too much uh, so your stomach actually goes all the way up inside of your rib cage and so that rib cage pain um stomach's very close to heart any heart problems, heart palpitations, we see a lot of restrictions in stomach. <laughs> stomach is not playing nice with some of its neighbors, including your breath and your heart. So uh, that's why I can get all the way up into the rib cage and clavicle and stuff. Um, other problems, excessive burping, like a lot of burping, H. pylori is going to be connected to significant bloating. So it's going to make bloating even more intense, especially if you have candida on top of it. Candida is like <laughs> the worst bloating little mechanism I've seen, um, and especially candida gets active at night. So if you're, if your bloating gets worse in the evening, it's like all my clients who start working with me and they say, um, you know, my bloating's okay in the morning. And then throughout the day it gets worse. And at night it's horrible and I can't sleep. I'm like, girl, you got candida. Um, we still do a test to verify it, but that's been super consistent for me. Um, so diarrhea and or constipation can be H. pylori and there's reasons for both. Diarrhea has to do with histamine. Constipation has to do with not breaking down your food very well. So then it just like slowing down in your microbiome and your colon. Um, vomiting and nausea. Uh, nausea is probably the, one of the more common ones that I'm seeing. Um, it just depends on if you're nausea prone, but I do see that as a really strong H. pylori symptom. Um, skin problems of any sort. So eczema, rashes. This is because zinc is a huge part of having uh, healthy skin. So if you have H. pylori, you aren't absorbing zinc because you have low stomach acid and then your skin is all like worse and it's not fun. Depression and anxiety. And this one's been interesting because this is very unique. I have had a couple clients have severe depression and anxiety and even one client with suicidal ideation who was like, this is not my norm. We figured out that this client who had suicidal ideation, she had married her husband 
And she'd met and married her husband very quickly. And it was in that time of meeting him and then marrying him that her symptoms started flaring up. And she'd already had a good solid 20-ish years of being a very consistently, you know, happy, hardworking person. And then she was like, very quickly was like depressed and suicidal and was like, what is going on? Well, we figured out her husband had H. pylori and gave it to her. We're going to talk about that in a second. And that um, depression, anxiety, because of how... Um, not breaking down proteins can affect your neurotransmitters. That's how it ends up affecting your mood. And I hope that that blows y'all's mind because mental illness is a huge problem in my family. And I know for many people in America, and if you just look at just thinking about statistics of 20 to 30% of people have low, uh, acid reflux, I mean, how many of those is low stomach acid? How many of them have H. pylori? We'll talk about that in a second, um, but huge PMS problems with H. pylori, sinusitis, and just general sinus congestion, all sorts of hormonal imbalances, low microbiome count, histamine sensitivity. Uh, if you've never heard of that, if you have heard of it, that will actually stick out to you pretty strongly. Um, we Histamine is a part of our, um, you could say, inflammation response, and we actually use histamine to cue the body to create stomach acid. Um, and then H. pylori and any pathogen in general will create an inflammation response, which is histamine. So it's like this really horrible cycle of the histamine creating stomach acid, feeding H. pylori, H. pylori getting stronger, creating like more histamine response. Uh, eventually you burn out a little bit. Um, and that's why you can get low stomach acid, but the histamine is still present. So um, we have a whole podcast episode related to histamine. If you've never heard of it and you're like, why should I care? Listen to this podcast episode. It's going to be way better. It is episode 25, histamine, a possible cause of your diarrhea, IBS, fatigue, insomnia, irregular menstruation, and more. And that one's actually an interview with a guest expert, Isabel Smith, registered dietitian, which was just a really fun conversation. And H. pylori also usually comes in pairs. I almost never see H. pylori on its own. So it's H. pylori in SIBO, H. pylori in candida, H. pylori in mold, H. pylori in bacterial overgrowth. That's not SIBO, but it's just bacterial overgrowth, H. pylori in parasites. It just... H. pylori sets up your body to not be able to handle other pathogens as well because stomach acid is part of our regulating system for our microbiome. So it just tends to come with other things. So it's not enough to find or kill H. pylori. You need to heal your body's ability to create stomach acid. That's another thing that you, even if your doctor finds it, because doctors, like conventional doctors will look for H. pylori. There's like problems with how they look, which I'm about to talk about, but most of the time they, whoever you're working with, and I've worked with clients who literally already told me like, I already killed H. pylori or dealt with it. And we do another test and it's still there. Um, but then the other thing is, is that when you kill H. pylori and get rid of it from the, from the body, you need to heal your body's stomach acid levels. And there's a specific protocol that I've created to do that in the fastest way possible so that you don't need to rely on digestive enzymes the rest of your life. Cause who wants to do that? Um, and then why your doctor hasn't found H. pylori. So this is this is something I, I just w wish wasn't true, but is has been both what I found uh, experientially with all of our clients and with talking with doctors. And it's also what you find in the medical literature. 
which is that uh, there are different measures of what is considered quote unquote pathogenic. And there's a lack of consensus in the scientific community on if H. pylori is inherently pathogenic. There's this sense that maybe it's symbiotic at a low level um, because it seems that they've been able to find like when they've done massive studies, they'll find all these people who have H. pylori and are experiencing no symptoms. Okay. Let's keep that in mind. There, you could easily have all these people who don't have H. who do have H. pylori and have no symptoms. But what we care about is the people who do have symptoms, and they're unfortunately discounting people who do have symptoms simply because what happens is that they either you either get doctors who are like you have to have an extremely high amount of H. pylori for the for the lab test that they do to come back and say oh look it looks like you have h pylori so the 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 uh like margin or the the intensity of how much h pylori you have to have is so high and when you get a conventional test at a at a conventional hospital for h pylori all it comes back and it says positive or negative it doesn't say if you even found any at all the positive means you had a high amount like past their threshold that they have not told you what it is. And negative means it's below that threshold, which doesn't necessarily mean you don't have any. It just means that it's below that threshold. And that just isn't fair to the fact that your body might be different than what they've decided is the threshold for a pathogenic presence of H. pylori. And so I've had several clients, like multiple clients who've already been tested for H. pylori through their conventional healthcare system. And then we test it and they have it because we do a test that doesn't say positive negative. We do a test that tells you the exact amount of anything. And if it's below detectable levels, that essentially means you have none that they could find. But that's just not what's common. That's not the norm. What's normal is that we have clients with H. pylori because H. pylori just makes people really sick. So it's making people chronically not feel well. And so um, also the other thing that I am seeing uh, and that I'm theorizing is going on is that people can have H. pylori um, low grade, kind of that non-pathogenic, there's no symptoms. But then after something some intense medical situation, a car accident, you have COVID, you gave birth, like clients who suddenly have all these symptoms of H. pylori because your immune system drops and then H. pylori can be like over proliferate and you could have had H. pylori for many years, but your immune system kept it at bay. And then now suddenly it gets flared up and it seems like, well, how did I get this? I didn't do anything. I just got over COVID or I, or I just gave birth, like what happened? Why do I suddenly have acid reflux? Why do I suddenly have burping and, and headaches and migraines and my mood's different? Well, it's like, have you checked for H. pylori? So some statistics on H. pylori, just to round this all out. So according to the CDC, the worldwide average of H. pylori is 50%. That's one out of every two humans. Whoa. Um, <laughs> the in developing countries it's 80 to 90 percent so uh, it's really important when i'm when i am talking to clients and we're doing digging because we look at blood work but we also want to think practically and i teach you how to do this in blood lab boot camp what are all the questions to be asking unrelated to your blood work that correlates with your blood work so, you know, big question is have you been traveled to a third world country or a developing country since your symptoms started or when these symptoms started. And so sometimes they'll say, no, but my spouse did. Like my spouse started a new job where he goes to Mexico and he went to Mexico six months ago and my symptoms started five months ago. Well, developing country, 
Mexico actually falls under that partly because of just like their reduced hygienic um, quality in their cities. They just have a different hygiene um, and their water quality and all this stuff. And so um, there's a much higher level of H. pylori in Mexico. And if you've ever been anybody, people go all the time to third world countries because it's interesting or fascinating. We go to developing countries, which is not third world. It could be second world or even kind of first world or but like very so like India, um, which has really rural areas and it also has very different microbiome and hygiene practices. So if you've been somewhere that's fun and cool and amazing and wow, that was an awesome trip. But you come back from Thailand or India or somewhere in Africa and you don't feel the same, it could not just, it might be more than just that, you know, stomach bug or the weird food you ate. Uh, so 80 to 90% H. pylori in developing countries. And in the US, it's 35 to 40%, which is like, wow, cool. We're like lower than the worldwide average. But if you, H. pylori is transferable via spit. So anyone you've kissed, dated, married, basically anybody you're kissing or like really swap and spit like I don't know there I've never found a study on like how transferable it is via like cup like sharing a cup but I'm really thinking like a kiss that's solid amount of spit swapping going on um if you have traveled or they have traveled or they have symptoms you know they could have gotten it from their parents when they were born and have had it for a long time but your immune system's lower when you get it from them they could have no symptoms and you get all the symptoms and that's a thing so that's some statistics on H. pylori. It's incredibly common. It's even more common by the time you narrow it down to people with IBS or people who have health problems and chronic health problems that have not been solved by the conventional healthcare system. And that's why your blood chemistry can be so helpful because if you're like a little dubious, like, eh, do I really have H. pylori? Um, do I really want to go into like the whole healing protocol? Um, is, is Allison just crazy? You can learn how to read your blood labs and verify it before you even start. And everybody who I've ever done where we start with blood labs first or we get blood labs later, it always correlates if they have H. pylori. All these markers are lined up. Um, and again, might not be 10 out of 10 of these markers, 8 out of 10, things like that, a high enough ratio. It's pretty solid pieces of information there. Awesome, guys. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and you're getting a little bit more of an insight bit by bit into why blood labs can be so powerful and so interesting and that there really is more that your doctor is not getting out of them, not because they don't care, but because that's just not what they're trained to do. So I'm so excited to share that Blood Lab Bootcamp is reopening on January 5th for one week only. I've planned this so it happens right at the new year because new year, new you, right? As you're focusing on your new goals in the new year, I want you to have all the best tools at your disposal so that you can have the best health of your life in 2022. What you get in Blood Lab Bootcamp is direct guidance on what blood markers to ask from your doctor, direct access to affordable, no-hassle blood chemistry if you don't even want to go through your doctor, five modules on the most common and most useful blood lab panels, including the comprehensive metabolic panel, complete blood count, iron panel, lipid panel, thyroid panel, and more. You get four additional modules, a case study from a client of mine who used her blood labs to find the deeper root causes of her bloating, acid reflux, hormonal balance, and more. We talk about how to use your blood chemistry to make your next steps and a 
plan and a path for your health, how to talk to your doctors about these markers, and the top seven mistakes to avoid when reading your blood chemistry. You get worksheets, spreadsheets, and downloads that you can keep forever. You have access to Blood Lab Bootcamp for the life of the course and a live group call where you can bring your questions from the course and bring your blood work for me to review with you. That's direct coaching with me, a value of $500 on its own. And I did create Blood Lab Bootcamp because I want to follow the adage, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man a fish and you feed him for a lifetime. I want you guys to be fed for a lifetime and your own ability to analyze your own health and have power, confidence, and control in what is going on in your body. I want you to no longer be stuck in this spinning your wheels moment, not knowing what doctor to talk to, not knowing what to do next. I want you to feel empowered and confident in your own body, which is a totally healthier, different way to feel in your your cells of your body to wake up and say, I have control of my destiny. I am not powerless. So if you are ready to have that power in your court, you're ready to learn, you want to learn how to read your blood, own blood labs, join the blood lab bootcamp waitlist by going to betterbellytherapies.com slash blood or by clicking on the link in the show notes. And y'all, you do want to join the waitlist. In this waitlist, you're going to get a direct email from me letting you know the moment that Blood Lab Bootcamp is open for registration. And on top of that, our waitlisters will have access to one-of-a-kind special offers for this course. Discounts, prizes, you you name it, it is there. We are so excited to be re-releasing this course for a whole new set of students. And so if you want access to these amazing offers, you won't want to miss being on this wait list. And lastly, if you're like, Allison, I don't want to wait until January 5th to figure out my health. How can I do this faster? I do want to let you know that I'm still accepting one-to-one clients to work with in our foundations program. If you want to fast track your health and are ready to get answers today, then sign up for a qualifying call with me for my foundations program. This is the same program that all my other clients have gone through that I'm referring to when we're talking about finding the root cause of what's going on and healing them in three months, six months. You can get such drastic changes in such a short amount of time. So if you don't want to wait until January, fifth to make major tracks in your health for the end of this year and for the new year sign up today for a qualifying call and lastly with our normal end of podcast announcements if you love this episode we have even more coming down the line subscribe so you never miss a beat and welcome if you are new to our podcast and are searching all things acid reflux and and which is what this episode's about, and you want to know more about IBS and gut health and all these things going on, more than what your average blog is going to tell you about, you have come to the right podcast. Please search into our past episodes. We have so much that we really don't repeat. And so we are always trying to add new information, never boring, never just repeat information. So go into our past episodes and check out what we have there. In the meantime, if you thought of a friend while listening to this episode, if you know someone who is searching for answers, who wants to have more power in their court for being able to read their own blood labs or understand how to talk to their doctor a little bit better or have the next steps or think more holistically about their health, please take a screenshot and send this to that friend. That's that's what it's like to be a friend is to go a little bit out of your way just to say, hey, I was thinking of you. I don't know if this would be interesting to you, but I hope it helps and encourages you today. 
Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review and by following us on Instagram where we are increasing our activity. We are loving talking to you guys. We have extra content there that does not happen on the podcast, videos, things that we can only do with images, um, talking about visceral stretching. So if you want even more information and more advice and tips on belly health, I strongly recommend you follow us on Better Belly Therapies uh, at Better Belly Therapies on Instagram. And in the meantime, remember our motto, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.